1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Ask you a question tonight. Have you ever experienced a dry season? I'm not talking about the farmers in here and the crops but, and uh, the brown grass outside, but I ask you if you've ever had a dry season in your spiritual life. You ever had a time when your Bible reading is challenging at best? When, when our prayer is an obligation instead of a privilege? And our witnessing is wearisome. And our service to God is a struggle. And, and all of those descriptions would put it mildly. Anybody ever had a time like that? You're just getting by, if you, if you will, kind of a dry spell. You know, it's, it's amazing. The, we all like the good times, the times when things are flourishing and the times when new people are coming and the times when you invite somebody to church and you see them the next time you're there. Uh, we all love those times. We love it when the music's on top side, and we love it when things are just going right. Boy, but the challenging times are the dry times. And we've got to thank God for the dry times. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't appreciate the good times near as much. And so I want to preach tonight on this thought, when things seem dry. We're hearing a familiar passage of Scripture um, Elijah has just told King Ahab in the previous chapter that there was going to be no rain or dew on the earth for these years. And at the end of the, the dry season, it's three years' time that has passed. And he just stood before the king and told him that, and then God has now given him some instructions on what Elijah is to do next. And I would dare say that if you were to ask Elijah things were pretty dry. I would, if you were to ask him what it was to stand before the king, and not only no rain, but no dew. It, it was about to be real, real dry, real fast. And if you asked Elijah, as he stood before the king, he's thinking, well, this isn't just for the king, it's going to affect me too. I'm going to be in the same land, and I'm going to see the same dryness and the drought, if you will, that everybody else is going to experience. And things were probably very dry in his own heart and life. But I think there's some truths that we can take from Elijah on this idea of when things seem dry. If you've got your place there in 1 Kings chapter 17, I'm going to have you stay seated. Uh, we'll read the first 16 verses here. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he 
came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Let's ask the Lord to help us here tonight. Father, I pray that you would do a grand and glorious work, God, that only you can do. I pray that you would meet with us in a special way. I do pray for our pastors. He's preaching here and I, uh, there at Calvary. Would you anoint him? And God, would you give him fresh oil? And Lord, we are thankful that we serve a God. Lord, that you're ever-present everywhere. That God, while you're meeting here tonight at Solid Rock, you can meet at Calvary at a magnified conference and, and any other church that will honor and not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight. We realize that without you we can do nothing. And, God, we must have you. God, anoint this time we pray. Amen. I want to say, first of all, when things seem dry, and again, submitting to you that with the story of Elijah here, we can gain a few truths to help us in our dry times. When things seem dry, I want us to notice, first of all, it's ordered by God. It is ordered by God. If you'll notice, this was a directed order. When God came with the instructions of what Elijah was to do, it was directed at Elijah. You notice there in verse number 2 and verse number 8, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto him. And then in verse 8, And the word of the Lord came unto him. It was a singular reference, and it was reference to Elijah. It wasn't a group of people, but it was a very directed order. And it was directed to the man of God, Elijah. And in this dry time, Elijah did not have the opportunity to wonder if God had done it. God removed that. When the Word of God says, and the, and, the, and, and the Word of the Lord came unto him, saying... So Elijah had no room for question. It took away, because it was a directed order, it took away the questions of if God had put him in that place. And so I want us to learn tonight that in the dry time, we remember who gave us the order. We remember who, we, who gave us the order. And if our order is from God, then we'll follow through with the orders that God directs us to do. And you put on display tonight that very thing. On a Wednesday night after you've worked all day, you've honored the Word of God to be in the house of God. And so I see it's a directed order, but might I say it's a detailed order. Uh, if you look here, I want you to understand God is a God of order. 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order. God is a God of precise and proper procedures. He's not a haphazard God. He doesn't off-the-cuff decision. That's not of God. God is a God of detail. He's not easily swayed and moved in His purpose and without purpose. 
But God gave Elijah the exact and precise details that he needed to make the next move. If you look here in verse number 3, if you look there with me, God comes to Elijah and He says, Get thee hence and turn thee eastward. He directed Elijah in the direction that he was supposed to go. Then he goes on, he says, Hide thyself by the brook Cherith. And if that wasn't enough detail, the name of the brook, he said, that is before Jordan. God wanted to make it very clear there wasn't going to be a question of where and what part of the brook of Cherith. He wanted the brook Cherith that was before Jordan. And then, and then he says, And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded ravens to feed thee there. And God is con- consistently telling Elijah throughout this story, and in, when he goes to the widow's house, God has made it clear in the details. There will be a raven. The ravens will feed you by the brook. When you get to Zarephath, there will be a widow woman, and I've commanded her to feed you. She'll be there. And God has given him the details that Elijah needed in that moment to obey God. The detailed order for this dry time. Now I want you to know when the story progresses, there's a lot more details involved when Elijah actually follows through with obedience. You know, when God told Elijah the ravens would feed him, God didn't tell him the ravens would be there in morning and evening. He just said, I've told, the ravens will feed you. Elijah, that's all you need to know in that moment is that the ravens will feed you. Now at the brook, the ravens came morning and evening. When he, when he finds out that it's time, the brook is dried up and it's time to go to Zarephath to the widow's home, the details of a gate, when he got to the gate of the city, the widow would be gathering sticks and would be preparing for her final meal with her and her son. Elijah didn't need those details. God knew the details that Elijah needed to obey. And that's exactly what Elijah received in the moment. And so God is a God, it is a detailed order and God leaves very little room for question. The details and the d- d- direction that God gives us is more than sufficient if we're willing to obey. And sometimes some of the details are kept to protect us. And we'll talk a, a little more about that in just a moment. But so often we as God's people in the dry times, we worry tirelessly about every detail just right. Well, am I doing something wrong? Am I, maybe I'm not reading my Bible just right. Maybe my prayer time isn't just right. Because I'm just not feeling it. And we're so paranoid that we're missing something, that God's perhaps punishing us for some, some, something we've done, and when really all it is is God's just not revealed those details. And God, is a, a, it's a detailed order. But then I want to say it's a daring order. When God had told Elijah to go to the brook, that was a time of faith for Elijah. Elijah, he was a great man of God. There's no doubt about that. But might I say he was a human just like you and I? Can you imagine what he thought when God said, I want you to go by the brook Cherith. I've commanded the ravens to feed you. Go. I I can see him thinking, no rain, no dew, a brook, water, no water's coming, eventually that's going to dry up. So I, he had to exercise faith to move on him. Can you only imagine when God told him, said, hey, there'll be ravens to come feed you. Can you imagine Elijah's thoughts? Birds? I bet he really thought, man, that's for the birds. You know? Could you imagine, could you imagine the faith it would take some of the the uh, salmonella warriors and all that for to realize people were eating food that birds brought. Can you imagine all the hype and the, the what people would struggle with? 
And, and Elijah thinking, wow, I've got to depend on a raven to hopefully get where it's supposed to be and feed me. And so it was a great time of faith. Can you, when, when the brook finally dried up, I, I, I can imagine Brook Cherith, it didn't just evaporate all of a sudden. As Elijah's there and the ravens have brought him his, his uh, meat and his bread for that evening, I can see him as if time has passed and he looks out in the brook and there's a little puddle of water as he starts seeing more ground show up around as the brook's drying up. I can imagine that his faith is really getting here and he's sitting under that tree waiting on the ravens and, and trying to get what little bit of water still available in the brook and him saying, man God, I know you told me to be here. You've not moved me yet, but man God, this is getting kind of nervous. I'm, I'm afraid I'm about to run out of the water that's here in the brook chair. Well then God comes to, to him and says, now, the word of the Lord came unto him. Go down to Zarephath. I've got a widow woman waiting on you. Can you, can you imagine Elijah's trip to Zarephath? God, a widow woman? Did I hear you just right? A widow woman? You're going to ask me to go to a woman that doesn't know, no longer has a provider in her home and she has had to fill that role and I'm, I'm going to take from her and you're going to sustain me through that. I find it interesting, and again those details, God, Elijah did not find out about her son until after he had asked her for the cake. You see the story progress. Uh, God said, I got a widow woman. He didn't say a widow woman that's got a son that will look out for you. No, no, no. There's a widow woman that will sustain you. He, he asked her for a drink of water, and I figured that was the easy part. You know, she didn't even hesitate at that. She was going after it. And they said, oh, well, while you're at it, go ahead and make me a cake too. Oh, sir. I'm about to make the last one so we can just eat it and die. We read the story, and Elijah said, well, make mine first. But I, I, I have to believe that Elijah in himself had to go, God, are you sure this is where I'm supposed to be at? So it was a very daring order. God had asked Elijah something by faith and to trust him. You know, you and I today, we wouldn't pick those things to sustain somebody. We wouldn't choose a widow woman in the church to take care of somebody, but God did. And what that did, that, that required Elijah to be, take a daring order. And I often wonder if maybe God held that detail of the son back. What if that would have been the detail that would have caused Elijah to say, God, I can't do that. And then, then Elijah's ministry would have been hindered from that day forward. But I see there's, it's ordered by God. The dry times, God has a reason for them. It's ordered. But then might I say, I see there's obedience to God. Obedience to God. I want to say, first of all, may we look at the simplicity of obedience. Verse number 5, we read, So he went and did. Verse number 10, we read, So he arose and went. Obedience is really a very simple matter when it's taken at face value. Obedience, if we take it like Elijah did and just do it. Obedience becomes complicated when you and I complicate it. Elijah, God said, hey Elijah, do this. And he went and got about it. Now that doesn't mean he didn't struggle inside, okay? Okay? But he, but he got about it and got busy and just did it. 
There wasn't a debate, a long drawn out debate of, of, of why and all that stuff. And, and, and if I could tell our young people tonight, that's obedience. That, that's obedience. It's just doing what God and our authorities say. And it's really quite simple. We make it complicated when we start what if and everything. How many of you have ever been nudged to give somebody a track at the store? How many of you have talked yourself out of it? We, well, God comes by, we'll use that as an example. He says, hey, give him a track. Invite him to church. If in that moment we would be like Elijah, I'd like to invite you to my church. We'd get the blessings of obedience. We've all done it, but we, we sit and say, Lord, they're busy. God, their hands are full. Lord, they're... What if, what, if they, what if they get upset? What if they yell and embarrass all of us here inside Walmart? What if they say they don't believe in God? What next, God? What do you want me to do? Instead of just very simply doing what God has asked us to do. Oh, and don't we do that with a lot of things when God asks something of us. Hey, why don't you give to the song... God nudges said, why don't you purchase some songbooks? Well, God, what if we end up needing that money for something? Hey, why don't you give to the bus ministry and the patch couple? Well, God, what if, what if we need that for something else? Instead of just a simple obedience. And so I find obe- obedience is very, very simple. Our job is very simply to obey and leave the results up to God. That's it. You know, when God says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, that's all we're supposed to do. It's not our job to save them. It's not our job to bring them. It's our job just to go. And God makes it very simple for us to obey as long as we don't complicate it. Not only do I see the simplicity of obedience, I see the surrender of obedience. Notice that Elijah did everything like the Lord instructed him to do. Everything. He didn't miss a beat. He went to the brook. He drank out of the brook. He waited on the ravens to bring him his food. You don't hear him sitting there at lunchtime. I notice it's morning and evening. And so, I don't know where lunchtime came in at. I guess we get ill if we don't eat before dinner. But you don't see Elijah at noon out there trying to kill something to eat. He waited exactly like the Lord had asked him to do. He followed everything to a T. When he he got to Zarephath, he saw the widow woman. He said, make me, uh, give me a drink of water. Hey, make me a cake. And again, the surrender of that obedience. Could you imagine the pride that had to be shoved out for them to be at the gate of the city and see her? It wasn't in the privacy of their home, of the home, the widow woman's home. No doubt there were some other bystanders in the city. In the gate of the city, he's telling the widow woman, could you imagine what it was to stand there and say, hey, make my cake first. After she just said, we're going to go die after we eat this. Well, make mine first, okay? Let's make sure I live the longest. Could you imagine? And so he had to have a real surrender to obedience. And he had to be willing to say, God, it makes zero sense to me, but okay. And so he, there's a surrender of obedience. But then I see there's a sustaining of obedience. A sustaining of obedience. It was through Elijah's obedience that he was sustained. God made it very clear. He said, Get, go to the brook Cherith. There will be ravens to feed you there. Go to Zarephath. 
There's a widow woman there. God made it very clear where Elijah would be sustained and how he would. And the, the key was that for him to be sustained and to live through that drought and that dry season was to be exactly where God had told him to be. Church, can I say tonight that our greatest sustaining in life is going to be when we obey the Word of God. I realize that there's times that it feels, you, you feel tired and, you know, man, I just can't make it tonight. And, and, I, and I realize that those times are the hardest of times, but those are the most critical of times to be in our place. I realize that after you've worked an 8-12 hour day, coming to church sometimes is all, all you can do. I realize that when the battle's raging at work, when things are dry at home, when things are dry at work, when things are dry everywhere in our life, when, thing, when everything's just not 100% hunky-dory in the home, sometimes it's not the easiest to step out and go to church. But it is there that God sustains us. How many times I can tell you times that I've come into church on a Wednesday night just barely getting by, but thankful by the end of the service I was there. You know, it wasn't easy when Elijah had to go to the brook. There was a journey and a sacrifice involved for him. It wasn't easy when he had to go to the city and go and ask this lady to make the cake. It took some work. It took some energy on his part. He had to, God gave the orders, but Elijah had to be willing to submit and to follow the orders of God. But if he was going to survive, it was critical. And it was crucial. And can I tell you that in the day and hour we're living, if we're going to survive, it's going to be crucial. That we have a relationship with God. And that we are in a place to be sustained. That we've got a relationship with the Word of God. You know, may, may I say, one, three times a week in the Word of God is not going to be enough. But we're going to have to have a relationship with the Word of God, the house of God. And we're going to need some people in our lives, those that we can, and as we've learned in Sunday school in the New Testament church, where it is a, a place for God to give us strength and structure for our faith. We're going to need that in the hour we're living. As the world was waxing worse and worse, if we as God's people are to be sustained, we've got to get there. And we've got to get by the brook and what God's given us today. I see that there is, and it's ordered by God, and there's an obedience to God. But then I'd like to say this, there's an obligation of God. I want to, I want to be, be careful how this point is portrayed, because I want to make it very clear when we're talking about obligating God, God does His own obligate. And we'll look at this here in this story, but I see it's a predetermined obligation. The obligation of our God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is nowhere in the hands of man to obligate God, but God obligates Himself. I'm reminded in the Old Testament when God is making a covenant with Abraham. And they took the animals and they divided them for them to make a covenant. And they would pass between it. And when you did that, you were making the agreement that if, you, if any one of you betrayed the covenant, you would be done like the animals that you were walking in the midst of. But God did something there. God didn't let Abraham follow through. God made that covenant. And in that moment, God obligated Himself 
but I'll see that the covenant's kept. God obligates Himself. And may I say here in this passage, this is a predetermined obligation. Um, and we can understand when God makes a commitment, He'll keep it. I ask you a question. Can God do everything? Titus 1-2, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Now if we take that at face value, that the Word of God has just given us one thing that God cannot do. God can't lie. And so when God makes a commitment, His own Word obligates Him that He's going to keep it. So when God makes a commitment to His people, we can know that God's going to sustain us, God's going to take care of us, and God's going to see us through to the end because He placed us there. And He made the promise. I want you to notice, as this is predetermined, verse number 4. If you'll look there, and, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And then again in verse number 9. Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. I want you to notice one word in those two verses, and that's the word commanded. It's past tense. It, it wasn't... God, God had already arranged the details before He ever got to Elijah. He had already set everything in order before He came to Elijah and said, Go to the brook. Go to, the, go to Zarephath to the widow's house. And it wasn't, well, you go, Elijah, and somewhere I'll get some time and I'll figure this thing out, hopefully before you get there and before that water dries up. We'll get it figured out, okay? No, it wasn't nothing of that. It was, get there, I've got a plan, I've commanded the ravens, I've commanded the widow to take care of you. And so it was a predetermined obligation. God obligated Himself to see to it that Elijah was cared for before He ever gave Elijah the next step. That's the kind of God we serve. You know, the kind of God that when He calls us into something, He's already looked down through the portals of time and He's already put in place the things that you and I will need to follow through with the plan He has for our life. That's the kind of God we serve. The God that obligates Himself. If we as God's people in those dry times will allow God to obligate Himself to what He's agreed to do, we'll be a lot better off. We get discouraged in the dry times because we began to look at God and say, well, God, what about you didn't, you didn't, I, I did this, I've been tithing, I was giving to missions and I was doing all this, but God, you did this, what happened? And we're trying to obligate God down to our mindset and to our standards and trying to figure out why God didn't meet what we thought was right. And that's where our discouragement and our great struggles in the dry times come. When we are obligating God rather than just allowing God to meet His own obligations. So it's a predetermined obligation, but I want to say this, it's a proven obligation. Look there at verse 4. God commanded the ravens. Verse number 6, the Bible says the ravens brought them bread and flesh. Verse number 9 it says, uh, God, God had commanded a widow woman to sustain him. Verse 15, the widow did as Elijah had said. And then you find there um, in verse 15 when it says, the widow did. I want to say this, if I may say this with this proven obligation. Everything that God told Elijah he would do, he did. God told him the ravens would come. 
the ravens came. God told him there'd be a widow woman. There was a widow woman when he got there. Everything that God committed to do for him, God proved it. I'd like to point out something that Elijah reaped. He sowed and he did some reaping in this process. And that is this. If you notice there in verse 5, it starts out with this. So he went and did. And then I want you to look there at verse 15. It changes. And she went and did. Elijah had sown obedience to God. And when it was time for Elijah to do the speaking, he reaped the obedience from the widow woman. When we honor and obey God, those under our authority will reap some of the same benefits. Had Elijah said, well, God, but, 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 he would have done two, two very dangerous things. Number one, he would have missed obeying God. But he would have done something even maybe more tragic than that. He would have prevented her from obeying God. Hey, you know, when we, when we miss the, the, the commandments of God and we, we miss doing what God tells us to do, we're not only harming ourselves, we may very well be preventing the next generation from being able to obey God. I might not say, you know, when we, when, we, when we decide that something else is more important than the house of God, it ain't just us that's affected. There's going to be a child and a family member, a husband, a wife, a spouse. Somebody is going to feel it just like she would have missed the opportunity to obey. And so it's a proven obligation. And God proved it over and over. In just this short chapter, God put on display everything He said He followed through with. But then I want to say, not only is it a predetermined obligation and a profitable, a proven obligation, but it's a profitable obligation. Look there at verse 14. The Lord said the barrel would not waste, neither the cruise fell until rain. Verse 16, the meal wasted not, the cruise failed not. Verse 15, she and he and her house did eat many days. If you had asked her the day that she had to go and make that last cake, the first time she went to the barrel and scooped out the last bit of meal, and the, last time, the first time she went and got that last little bit of oil out of that cruise, if you had asked her then, surely that was the end. But day by day, if she would go and there would be enough meal for another cake and another little bit of oil, just what they needed to survive that day, and, and as God would not let that barrel fail, and whether it overflowed or whether it was day by day, who knows, other than God used it. But if you'd asked her, well, okay, after a few days she, she saw what God was providing. Boy, but it, it went many days. Not a few days, not, not a couple, two, three days. No, many days. Many days they ate. So it's very profitable. Very profitable. And I want, to, I want to close with this. In the dry times, may I say, we can still profit from the obligation of God. It's not. And the reason we can do that is because we did not obligate God, but God obligated Himself. Had we obligated God, it, it would fail every time. But God obligated Himself. And then lastly, in closing, there is this, the omnipotence of God. The all-power of God.
I want to say that the power of God is a prevailing power. It's a prevailing power that even in the dry times, God's power is not limited. Nor is God's power hindered. We find, we didn't read it, but there in verse 17 and to the end of the chapter, you find the widow woman's son became sick. Sick to the point he wasn't breathing, he died. And she, she automatically assumed that she had sinned and God was punishing her for her sins. May I say it's a provoking power. You know why some people struggle so much with the things of God? And why, why, why the King James Bible, there's such a battle for it? Why there's such a battle for good songs? Why there's such a battle for good, good churches, solid ministries like this one? Because there's something provoking about the power of God. There's something that provokes our mind and our heart and our conscience and our soul to think that we're not right with a holy and sovereign God. And automatically, this lady, she assumed that the punishment that had come with her son dying, there was some sin in her life that had not been dealt with. And she calls Elijah. And Elijah himself, he owes to God. He says, God, have you brought this evil upon her? He's asking God. It's a provoking power. And can I say that in those moments when we're provoked by the power of God, it's not the time to ask those around us, but it's time to ask God. Hey God, something's not feeling just right. What do I need to work on? It's not the time to debate and get encouragement from, from the, the little Bible devotional group and Sunday school teachers. and all. No, it's time to go to God. And that's what the man of God Elijah did. She's, she's panicking. She said, surely I'm punished for my sin. And, she, and he takes the young boy and says, God, did you bring this evil on? And then that prevailing power, that even through the dry times, I'm sure if you asked her, it made no sense why her son had to die. I'm sure if you asked her, it made no sense why the man of God showed up and they were... And God sustained them off a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil. I'm sure if you were to ask these people, they'd say, well, I'm not sure why the drought for three years. Why do we all have to suffer? But the prevailing power of God, God was able to put on display that even through those dry times, the power of God is still the power of God. And that God's power is not limited by man, method, by moods. But God's power is always God's power. And that in the dry times, we can remember that it's ordered by God Himself. And that we're, we're responsible to be in obedience to God. And that through that obedience and what God has committed to us, He has obligated Himself to take care of us through His omnipotent power. And we have no concern and no need to worry about the dry times. And God sustaining us. And may I say the dry time did come to an end. The rain did come back. But I'm sure everybody that left this passage left a little stronger in their faith and realizing that God had sustained them. Let's stand to our heads and excuse me, stand to our feet. <laughs>